You just said, I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of success. If there's one take home from this show, that's got to be it for everybody that's listening. I'm not going to sacrifice my family, which means you get to choose. Well, welcome back to the podcast and uh, thanks for joining me. I, I'm, I'm privileged that you would give up your time to, to come and watch uh, myself and Ashley on this episode as we kind of uncover Kingdom Business. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing him on a whole bunch of questions and, uh, and my goal is ultimately that you know at the end of this podcast that you've got even more handles on how to do this thing called kingdom business and uh and so let me just give you a very quick intro to ashley so i've known ashley for a long time he may call himself ash but i'm a bit of a thing for the full name at least at the start um i've known ashley for quite some time uh in fact we have uh we've even done some business together i've used ashley in his capacity as a lawyer before um, but he's just one of these guys that uh, he comes from great stock in the Christian faith. Um, he uh, he he's he's got you know, family and business, and from the outside looks like he holds it all together pretty well. And so that's why I think he's a good candidate for us to get in here with a bit of an interview. All right, um, why don't you lead us off, Ashley? Who is Ash? Give us a bit of the skinny on who you are and what you do. Well, I live on the Sunshine Coast with uh, with my beautiful wife, Karen, and uh, I've got three little kitties. And uh, uh, Luca, he's uh, he's 11, just out of high school this year, so that was a pretty big dynamic uh, and shift for us. I think I'd really gotten used to parenting um, young children. Got quite good at it too, I might say. Uh, this whole teenage thing, that's that's an entirely new dynamic. So uh, Karen and I are learning as we go very much. And uh, we've got two uh, other younger ones, Joseph, who's 10, and Zara, my little girl. Uh, she is six and really uh, bosses everyone around. She does a fine job at that. So uh, we live in Palmwoods on the Sunshine Coast. And uh, I'm the owner of Brandon and Gullo Lawyers. Uh, I've run that since 2007 with my wife, Karen. Uh, she's a social worker by profession, uh, and until recently, she's been very, very involved in the business. Uh, and in recent times, she's now gone uh, back to some of her social working. She runs Suncoast Care, which is the charitable arm of the church that we go to on the Sunshine Coast, uh, Suncoast Christian Church. And uh, so she's loving that. Just a little bit of a change in dynamic, and uh, you know, it's been actually a bit of a, a privilege for me to be able to support her and her new venture because she really has supported my vision in being a lawyer and growing this firm for our family over the past, uh, gosh, 15 years now. So it's a bit of a change in dynamic for us. But, uh, yeah, so we just enjoy life. I think we're at that very much uh, stage in your life where it's it's work and it's kids. So that's probably a bit about me at the moment, Wes. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you come from good stock, like I said before, like I'm, like as I know your brothers and stuff, like you, you're like Pastorsville, right? Like there's pastors in your family, like a long way back. Yeah. So, uh, so how does Ashley turn up one day and decide? Actually, um, I don't have the pastor call. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going. Not only am I going into business, but I'm going to become a lawyer. Right? Nice. How, how does that conversation take place? Well, you know, uh, in the Bible, uh, you know, the scriptures are very hard on two groups of people: Pharisees and lawyers. So uh, you're quite right in surmising that. My, my dad, uh, he's a pastor or was a pastor. He's recently retired and is itinerant now. A, a great man, a hero of the faith. Uh, so all my life, uh, he, was a, he was a dentist for my early years and he became a pastor. And then he also worked as a, as a dental specialist uh, while pastoring. So he's, he's helped support his, his ministry. And uh, my little brother, Jonathan, now uh, has taken on uh, the church that he built at Suncoast. So uh, my uncle was a pastor. You know, we, we do have a lot of family in ministry. Uh, but you know what? I, I think it would be have to, it'd have to be one of the toughest jobs, Wes, 
uh, to be a pastor if you're not called to it. And and I, I knew I wasn't called to it. I love people. Uh, I certainly pastor my friends, but uh, I'm not a pastor. God had something else for me. And I think that was pretty evident early on. Uh, funny thing is, um, I remember as a young 11-year-old, we had some ministry come through the church and uh, it was a well-regarded prophet. And, uh, you know, mum and dad always got people just to pray for us as kids. And I guess that was one of the privileges of being at a PK's household. And uh, I remember him laying hands on me and just saying, young man, I, uh, I see that you're going to be the courts of Pharaoh one day. And uh, after he left, I said, Mum, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, I'm going to be a fighter pilot, had my heart set on it. And uh, it's just amazing. You know, I look back and you can see the fingerprints that God's got on your life from such an early age. You know, he knew better than I knew. I had no desire whatsoever to be that. And I, I probably didn't think of that, that word until I was in law school, uh, you know, perhaps a decade later. Um, so I just think I just followed. Uh, well, the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And I, I sort of see it as... Um, it's my job to walk and it's God's job to lead. And that's what I've always tried to do, Wes. And here I am, found myself uh, running a law firm. Hey, podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show. It means the world to me that you would give up your time to be on here and to, to listen to what I say and the people that I interview. Uh, what I need from you, though, is a favor. Would you please just take literally a couple of seconds and subscribe to the channel and share the show either on social or with a friend. Speaking of the law firm, just so that, you know, I want the listeners to kind of understand where you sit. Um, you were once, maybe not full service, but you were pretty broad mm -hmm. and you've made a decision somewhere to be really focused in your service yeah. delivery. So tell me about that. Like, like you, cause there was a original partner, which is why there's two names in the firm. Now mm -hmm. there's only one. Mm -hmm. Take us through that journey. Like how did that play yeah. out? And what was the decision to focus on one area of law? Great question. Um, so when I kicked it off uh, in 2007, uh, I kicked it off with my with my good mate Robert Brandon. We went through law school together, and I'd just come back from London with my wife, and uh, we'd written out a big list of all of the things that we might want to do when we return home. And just to complete a list, uh, I put law, open my own law firm at the bottom of it because uh, I always like complete lists, but I did not want to do it. I'd come out of a a big city firm, and uh, after doing many years in that, I was burnt out. I was sick of it, uh, and I didn't actually want to go back to law. I was done being a lawyer, and so I was looking at going back into finance or doing something. But so we wrote our list, we prayed about it, and as we were getting close to coming back to uh, uh, to Australia, um, just door after door kept opening, and I said to Carrie, "I think we're meant to open this." a law firm you know i had no experience didn't know how to do it i thought what the heck I'll, I'll give it a crack you know so threw ourselves in the deep end and uh kicked it off with my mate robbie brandon as i said and then shortly after i brought another mate on uh shane and so there were three partners in the business and um and so yes we we basically started out as a property firm and we expanded the business and succession and i didn't want to do insurance litigation i'd come out of a big city firm doing that and i hated it uh i just burnt out and, um, and then uh, I had a mate come and ask if I could do some insurance lit for him. And I said, okay, I'll do it for you because you're a mate. Did the job and then got, got paid for it, got the check. And I'm thinking, hold on, that's a, that's a pretty good looking check compared to picking up a few hundred dollars on a conveyance and things like that. So I started to shift my focus ever so uh, gradually. Uh, but as the firm grew, you know, we hit a few roadblocks and you might want to explore that in a few minutes. But um, uh, we eventually bought out one of our partners, Robert Brandon. He went to the bar to become a barrister and then, uh, we really hit some big roadblocks with, with my other partner and uh, so much so that I was ready to walk away from the firm and, and but ended up buying Shane out. And uh, we're still a fairly wide service offering at that time. I'd, I'd replace them with a few other lawyers, but I realised there could only be one chief in the village. So that was going to be me 
and I'll just pay my staff ridiculously well. Um, and uh, so rather than having partners who would have a say in my business, I'd give them profit share, but with no vote, with no say. There was one leader and that was going to be me. Um, and, uh, and to this day, that's worked phenomenally well. But um, as we were going along, we found that just staying on top of the regulatory environment, that is law, um, it just got harder and harder to offer such a wide service offering with, you know, we've got 20 staff. And, um, and also we found that some areas were becoming less lucrative while other areas were becoming more lucrative. So bit by bit, as we grew, we took the opportunity just to start to narrow our focus a little bit because we could, you know, whereas when you start off a business, you just take any work that comes in the door, you know, you're bootstrapping, you're hoping to survive, you're hoping to make, to pay the rent and, and, and pay staff. Uh, I remember within the first year, I'd never done family law in my life. A guy calls me up, oh, can you do family law? I said, can I do family law? You'd come to the right place, you know, you'd hit the books and very soon I realised I wasn't a family lawyer and we didn't take any more of that work. But um, one thing I learned along my journey as a business person, as I, as I grew, I started to look where the money was. And I thought, you know, if we're going to survive in the environment we have today, I have to find where the money is. And, and we started to just uh, um, evolve the firm, craft the firm, mould the firm around um, where the money was in our market. And, uh, and I guess as each, we've had different lawyers come and go over the seasons. And once I had a central lawyer in an area that I didn't practice in, if they left, I'd actually take that opportunity to think, okay, well, I've got to rearrange things. Do I employ someone to fill those shoes um, or do I cut that arm of the firm off? And I'd analyse, it, it, is it profitable? What's the future look like? Because, you know, we've got a very changing landscape. Um, with, with with the event of automation and things like that. So, you know, what law looks like today is going to be very different to what law looks like in 5, 10 and 15 years. We have to be aware of that. And so recently I lost an amazing lawyer. She went on maternity leave, uh, Romy, her name was, and she was an incredible um, uh, commercial and estates lawyer doing a fine job. We'd thrown a whole lot of resources into growing that section of the firm. Uh, and she gave me notice that she was going on maternity leave and, and not going to come back. She was going to be an extended mummy. And I had to make a decision, you know, do I try and find someone who can replace her or do we cut that arm off? Because it wasn't nearly as profitable as the, the insurance arm was. And Karen and I sat down, we thought about it, we analysed the figures, we prayed about it. And both her and I were a complete piece that that's what we should do. And so although it was a profitable arm of the firm, it was uh, only minorly profitable compared to what the other area was. So we decided that we'd shut that firm down, that side of the firm, and we would go all in all in behind the insurance litigation, which is what we're doing now. And every time we'd made one of those decisions to either remove a partner or remove a, a section of the firm, profitability just continued to climb incredibly. So, uh, you know, it's a scary decision when you are cutting off a profitable part of your business, but you kind of have to give up a little bit to go up. And we were able to reallocate those resources, which were committed to that area, uh, and re-divert into something which was incredibly more profitable. We did the same when we cut off our conveyancing arm as well. So that's a bit how we, we come to that conclusion. And I might say we never do anything. We never make any big decision like that without Karen and I being in unity, um, being in agreement. Because every financial mistake I've made along my journey has been because Karen and I weren't in complete agreement. I love it. And you know, that whole story is a bit of a metaphor for our walk with the Lord. You know, one of the pictures that we get from Scripture is he's the wine dresser, right? And so he has to be pruning and cutting off things all the time. But it's so that we grow. And, yeah. Um, and Perfect. so you're seeing exactly the same thing play out. Now, um, just want to kind of stay on that kind of wins journey. Uh, there were a couple of years where you were, um, I think I remember like you were winning like the Fast Start Awards in Australia. And, and I think maybe two years in a row or, or maybe you can speak into that. But there was there was a period of time when 
here in Australia, they rank the fastest growing businesses in Australia. And you made the yeah. list, I think, two, maybe three years in a row um, yeah. as, as you were, you know, scaling up this business. So tell me about those years. Okay. Um, well, mate, yes, we made the BRW as it was then, the Business Review Weekly Fast 100. It was a fairly ambitious list that if there was a list you wanted to be on, uh, that, that was the list. And what really motivated uh, me to do that, Wes, is I wanted to actually see how I was doing against the rest of the businesses in this country. And also, we were business advisors at that, uh, at that time as well. So I wanted my clients to know that we just didn't know about business but we're actually good at business. So I think it was a way to communicate excellence to our staff. So I thought, look, let's go for it. And uh, I think we're having about 30%, 35% per annum growth at that time. So, you know, uh, we applied uh, and, and we made the list and we did it three years as well. Um, we didn't we didn't go for it after that, uh, become the AFR Fast 100, and I think BRW shut down. But um, so, you know, we it, it was an incredible time of, of, of fast growth. But the amazing thing was this, um, Wes, while we were experiencing terrific growth in terms of turnover, um, we still hadn't hit that tipping point yet. And, you know, we're seeing phenomenal success and growth in the business, but it wasn't relating to money in my pocket. And I tell you that, that was the most frustrating thing. And I was speaking to one of my business mentors, and I go, we, are, we have the work. What's going on? Why is this happening? And my mentor was wise enough to say, Ash, I, I, I think you're on the edge of a tipping point. He says, don't give up. And, you know, we did get to a time when things were really tough. And this was in about 2014, uh, end of 13, where I actually sat down with Karen uh, and we're in a bit of a financially tough situation on the back of the GFC. We'd lost a whole stack of stuff. We had to sell everything. Uh, we were renting, had our second baby on the way. I was looking at moving in with mum and dad. And boy, that's a humbling experience when, you know, you're the owner of a uh, seemingly successful law firm and you're going to go live with your mum. Uh, uh, look, truthfully, uh, I'll be honest with you, Wes, as an Italian boy living with your mum and your wife, that's not such a bad scenario. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, uh, it, it was a difficult thing. We actually uh, had that conversation. Do we actually walk away from this? Do I go and find another big city job, try and earn the money, get back on our feet financially, even though you know we just won a BRW Fast 100 award? It just wasn't making sense. My mentor said, just, just hang in there. Just, just keep at it. Do you believe you are where God wants you to be? And I said, no, I, I, I do. No other door had opened. So we stuck at it. And it was shortly after that I got my last partner. I bought, I bought him out because the partnership wasn't working. That's another discussion. Um, and then literally within six months, the whole thing just took off and exploded. And, uh, you know, I think in business there is that tipping point. And often we can just be, uh, I guess if you know all the boxes are checked, you know, you've got a good reputation, you've got great staff, you've, uh, you're managing your, your overheads as best as you possibly can, you're in a profitable area, but if it's not happening, but you've ticked all the boxes, well, I'd encourage you, probably a tipping point is just around the corner. Yeah. And that's sort of when it exploded for us. I think that's important. And just speaking to my audience now that are listening, I'm like, did you pick that up? It's 2022 and things weren't going great for Ash in 2013, 14. That's eight years ago. That's not that long. And so, um, you know, I mean, we've just heard about all the successes, all the, you know, it was flying high. Uh, the, the, the profile was building and yet one year later, there's no cash flow and, and he's looking at, you know, shutting it down possibly. And, mm. and I love it, right? Because, um, I think had you went and got a job, the enemy would have won, in, you know, and, and you didn't. You, the call to business was there when you were making money and when you were not, the call to business is still there. Yeah. <clears throat> and so you decided to dig in and get it done. And here we are eight, only eight years later, and you're in a whole different position today. Massive, yep. And um, 
But I want to go back. I don't want to skip over. I want to kind of try and dig the gold out for our listeners. So tell me what it was like to be... So your personal profile is building. Everyone now thinks Ashley's super successful, and yet he knows he's not. What was that like turning up to the office every day? And also, what was that like turning up to church on Sunday when your profile says one thing and your bank account says another? Like, tell me about how that felt. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it was hard, you know, when staff would say, why are, you, why are you living with mum? I actually took on a second job as well. I didn't mention that before, you know. I'd work after hours for a client that needed, a, you know, a general manager. So uh, I was I was 100% committed to turning our financial situation around. And although things were tight, you know, we had more money than money was. And But uh, one thing I'd believed in, it was instilled in me since a uh, a young child that you give and God never lets you down. And although we were going through tough times, although we didn't have enough money for months, as I said, uh, we still gave. Our giving today is a lot different to our giving then. I mean, we write, um, we write six-figure checks for our church and good works now, and God's put us in that position. But I tell you what, you know, we were struggling to tie 50 bucks back then, but we, we never stopped giving and we never wavered in our faith. And, you know, um, I, I didn't advertise how I was doing to everyone. You know, you, there's some people who they, there are supporters and there are detractors. And I'd make sure I only share stuff with supporters. People are going to encourage me and say, attaboy, you know, keep going and, and speak to me the truth, not people who will just talk you down. And that was one thing I did when I started off the business too, that people had told I was going to do it and other people I didn't. So um, at home, it, it was raw. It was tough. But Karen and I sat down and we we really worked our finances. We got a really tight money plan. We changed the way we spent. We changed the way we lived. As I said, I moved home with mum and dad. They were terrific support. It was massively humbling, super, super humbling. Oh, you know, uh, but, you know, I never, ever pretended to be something that I wasn't. You know, and I think that's that's just important. Be real. We live in an insta-perfect world. I mean, if I put up on Instagram the stuff that Karen and, and I, our lifestyle and what we did, I'd, I just don't do it because um, we're not those sort of people. But it would make for a pretty good reel, I'm sure. But people are doing that sort of stuff to say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And um, when they're not in that position, and I think that's a trap that we can fall into, that we have to be looking the goods for the jokes. No, just be you. Run your race. You're not comparing to anyone else but yourself. And I'd always been... My challenge was fulfilling the call of God of my life and, and living up to what he called me to do. So I guess when I turn up to church, I'd still bless people. Uh, an old lawyer told me, allow people to glean from your field. It's like the story in Joe, uh, not Job, um, in um, uh, Boaz, where he'd let, uh, let the poor people glean from the, the field. Um, and so, you know, on a Sunday, he just said, you know, be available to people who need your services. And so I saw that as a ministry day for me as well. So even though things were pretty rough in our personal financial life uh we still kept giving we yeah. still stayed generous with our time with our uh our finances but mate i'll tell you what we worked harder than ever i guess that's awesome internally though the the, <laughs> men, the mental battle how did you manage that because there would have probably i'm guessing that feelings like inadequacy possibly shame um i'm a phony imposter syndrome i'm i'm i'm, I'm assuming you, you can let us know whether that's right or wrong so how did you how did you handle you? How did you manage you through that period of time? Um, great. Well, uh, mate, I obviously spent time in prayer and I had a good identity in who I was in God. I'll, I'll be honest. You know, I, I wasn't starting from behind the eight ball. I already knew that God wanted me to be a success. And I didn't doubt that for one second in my mind. I didn't plan for this to be part of my journey. So, you know, you certainly have your down days. And thankfully, I had a good wife who would support and who, and I had parents around me and, and, and that encouraged you. Say, come on, you can do it. You can keep pushing through. Mate, I, I strengthened myself 
uh, with, with just quiet times of worship, planning. I always wrote plans. And so I guess I didn't focus on where I was at that moment, Wes. I kept looking at the future. And I really think that helped me from, stopped me from getting depressed, stopped me from, from getting down. Or, you know, if you do feel a bit down, you keep pushing through. Mm. You know, I wasn't willing. Well, I guess the difference between a, a victim and a hero is a victim wants to stay put and, and have someone rescue. I had no intention of anyone rescuing me. I, I was got into this situation. I was going to get out of it with so you, God's help. Yeah. So you already had deep wells to draw from. I did, Wes, and, and that's 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 a huge distinction for people, right? So, so you can imagine you're going along, and you're kind of half committed to the Lord, and you kind of half read your Bible, and you kind of half go to church, and then these things happen. What do you draw yeah. from? Yeah, this is so true. You know, whereas so, yeah. whereas your heritage, your disciplines, the time you had taken, and you lent into the Lord, obviously when it wasn't going well, which is just a smart idea, mm-hmm. allowed you to have that real perspective that actually it's a moment in time, and yeah. I know the calling, so I'm just going to chase that down. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and mate, also I will say that, you know, a big thing like this doesn't just happen to you. Like you look at the story of David where, um, you know, we first pick him up where he fought a lion, then he fought a bear. And, and that had to take place before he fought Goliath. And, and you know, for me, I, I failed out of high school. I didn't make law school. I had some health hurdles to get over. I had plenty of hurdles that I had to fight, little, little battle, battles and little wins along the way, which I think each of those equip you and your faith to be able to get through the bigger trials and hurdles that come. And I will say, um, you know, I was reading in, um, I was reading the word the other week that, you know, whenever there was a battle, Judah was the one that got sent in first and, and Judah's praise. And I've always found that, you know, if you can always stay in a state of just praise, just thanking God and just having that time to worship, it builds your soul. And you're always, you're always putting praise first. And, and when tough times come, you look at Paul and Silas in the Bible, they were chained up, things weren't going well for them. What do they do? They sung and they praised. Their, their situation didn't warrant that, but nevertheless, they kept doing it and they expected a miracle. And, and I think that's a great lesson for us in business. It doesn't matter how hard things are, you stay at it. I'm in this situation I can't control. I, could, I control what I can. Moved in with mum and dad, got a second job, but there were plenty I couldn't control. So what did I do? I praised and I kept walking. Love it. Love it. So you are a pastor and a preacher. It turns out you just do it. You just uh, you just do it in a slightly different place than uh, than, than the rest of your family. Um, no, the boardrooms, my pulpit. Yeah. How do you rationalise the pursuit of wealth? Mm. Uh, Where's everyone pursues something? Uh, maybe you pursue many things. Um, you can pursue a spouse. You know, your kids, power, money, uh, education. You can pursue God, friends. Have we all pursue something? You know, Matt six thirty three makes it pretty clear. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. Pursue first the kingdom of God. So if it's saying pursue first, uh, it doesn't say don't pursue anything else. We are going to be pursuing other things. For me, oh, my job, the Bible says, is pursue God first. Look at God first. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Right. But after that. Well, then you pursue where you're called. This is what I believe. And for me, it's, it is pursuing wealth. It's pursuing uh, a role in the business community because that's where my gifting is. Um, you know, I think wealth to a business owner or entrepreneur is like a gold medal to an Olympian. If you're an Olympian, you're pursuing a gold medal, you know, aren't you? If you're, if you're a soccer player, you're, you're pursuing that World Cup. As a business person, as an entrepreneur, we're pursuing profit. We're pursuing uh, uh, wealth. And then I guess the next question is, well, then what do I do with that wealth? To what end am I just pursuing it? Is it just so you know, I could be richer, have a bigger house, have a better car, get a private plane, whatever it might be? If that's the end of it, well, that's a hollow victory. Uh, but, you know, I pursue wealth, and this is how I see it, is um, because I've got a job to do. You know, there is a need out there. Now, I can't answer every need, but I can answer some need. 
You know, I can't do it, but I can do something. And so the wealth that we use, I look after my family. I set up our future, but also we do a lot of good work out there. And, you know, I couldn't do that, Wes, if I was broke ass. If I was in the bones of my backside, I couldn't go and give to our Christmas production. I couldn't go and help the soup kitchen feed hungry people. We couldn't go and help an orphanage be built, you know. So I think as a, as a kingdom business person, when God blesses us with, with wealth, um, you know, uh, I don't always want to be increasing my, here's a rhyme for you, my standard of, of living. I, I increase my standard of giving. I determined early on, Karen and I, we thought, what standard of living do we want? We live where we want. We drive the cars that we want. We holiday how we want. Now, when more comes in, I don't need to increase that because we're very, very settled at this stage. So that means that we can give the over and above to the kingdom, to, to good works. And so that's why I pursue wealth now. I could probably retire now if I wanted to. But there's too much adventure to happen. There's too much good to be done. There's too much need out there. Yeah. So that's a phenomenal answer and um, and well articulated. And obviously, I, I know you enough to know that that was going to be your answer. Um, give me more insight into how you do the giving thing. How do okay. you do it? How do, how do we do it? Like church, um, like other stuff, <laughs> like, like how are you driven by need? What's your filtering process? Like, yeah, like do you give from a business? Like, I just want to go a little bit deeper for the sake of the listeners to get a handle on how you do giving. Okay. All right. Um, well, my conviction, my belief and my reading and understanding of the scriptures is that God's called me to give, not my business to give. So my business doesn't tithe. I don't, I don't think that that's scriptural. But any money, God, uh, the Bible says give of your increase. So whatever increase Karen and I get, um, we give of that. Now, that doesn't say my business doesn't give. We actually give a fair bit where it's tax advantageous to do that. Okay, so the business will sponsor certain things. Man, we sponsor chappies. We sponsor uh, Christmas productions. We'll sponsor all sorts of crazy stuff that we can make sure is a win for our church and our business, all right? Now, personally, when we take money from the business, when we actually take the increase, then, uh, you know, 10%, that's just, that's a given for us. We, we believe a tithe, but I'm also well aware that, um, uh, that we, you know, we're not under law, we're under grace, and, and you need to decide what, what your standard of giving is going to be with God. So there's no law around that. But for us, we think it's emulated in the Bible. So we'll give a minimum of 10%. That's our starting point. But over and above that, we give as, as need arises. Um, uh, and you know what? I, I have also seen part of our giving has brought miraculous results. You know, when GFC hit in 2020, we had our biggest, uh, until last year, we had our biggest profitable year ever. And that was in what we had shutdowns. And I mean, with insurance, you want people at work, you want people on the roads so they can get injured and you get the work. Everyone was locked down, Wes. And that's not great for our, our business model. Yet we saw an incredible increase. And I have no doubt that at the beginning of the year, we gave a, uh, we gave a very large gift to um, a tragedy that was happening in Zimbabwe. That was in my wife's heart. Uh, I hadn't even thought about it. And so she brought, she says, Ash, I'd like to give to this. And uh, so we sat down with the family. We involve all of our family now giving, my children, because we're teaching them. I'm raising champions, Wes, and they're going to learn how business works, how giving works and that. So we sat down and go, kids, uh, you know, what should we as a family give to this? And, uh, you know, Zara says, let's give them $50. So thank you, darling. Lucas said something. And I said, thanks, mate. Then Jojo came up, my, my middle boy, says, let's give them uh, this much, which is about 10 times more than what I thought we should give. And I just looked at Karen and I thought, ah, this kid, you know, he's happy to give it when it's our money. And she was just dead staring right back at me. And I'm like, oh boy, we're going to be giving this amount, you know. And so we agreed and we always agree with our giving. And it was just over and above our tithe. Uh, we gave it out of faith and then thought nothing more of it. And I have no doubt that when you start 
giving gifts like that, when generosity is a theme of your life, it opens up such such blessing. And, you know, I can't explain why we are doing so well as a law firm. We beat all of the benchmarks. It's not because I'm a necessarily a deadly businessman or anything. I just believe it's the hand of God and it's generosity. You know, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So uh, our giving, uh, we give to our church, we give to charity, we'll give to wherever we feel there's need. We'll never be manipulated into it. And we never, uh, you know, on the spot really do we give if we just... Um, uh, when we never give, we're feeling pressured or emotionally manipulated. We always purpose it beforehand, like the Bible says, and we agree on it. Uh, um, we never give that would put us in financial difficulty or hardship. Um, you know, some people go, oh, God's told me to give everything. Well, uh, you know what? I, I really hope that's God because he's never said that to me. And, you know, um, I would always be careful in counselling someone if it means that you're not going to have a shelter and clothe your family, which is your first responsibility. So, look, that's how our giving is. And we'll give to a variety of places, you know, our church, of course, but different charities out there as well, different good works. Yeah. We certainly give to the storehouse. So, yes. So that's, I just want to pick up on that point. So for you, like Zimbabwe was a big check. Is there, is there an order of priority for you though, between, between your own church where you go and, and, and your spiritual covering and then outside, like, is it one without the other or are you not even that structured? Like, would you give to Zimbabwe and not give to church and tick the box? No, we wouldn't. We yeah. wouldn't. We we give to where we're fed. We give to our house. I, I that's that's where we worship. And that's where we're fed, and um, so that's our first place. At least our tithe ordinarily would all go there, uh, and then over and above that, it's open slather where, wherever we feel need. But you know, again, if if we don't give the full tithe to our church, again, we're not under law. We we may not in some year. Yeah. I mean, our tithe checks pretty reasonable every year, and um, so you know, we may give some of that to other works and. And I've also, my brother's the pastor there as well. So occasionally, if I'm not too happy, if, if money's not being diverted to where I want it to go, Karen and I will just go out and buy. Like there was a plagium we wanted for the church. It was taking ages to do, going through all the committee. We thought, you know what, stuff this. We went out and bought it and just had it delivered. So, you know, there's other creative ways you can give to the house. And if your brother's the pastor, it's hard to invite them over and give them good steak and then tell them on tithing time that you don't have much money. Right. So, so, so the, he's got eyes on you, right, to be able to know that uh, if you're being cheap or not. Yep, we've said to them, if there's need, you call us. Yeah, if there's something that's a problem, and you know, we'll work out how to how to do it. We might call out other business people in the church, but you know, as a as a king, so to speak, in the church, as someone who's been um, called to finance the kingdom, well, that's our job to team up with with the priest, with with the pastor, and support their vision. I love it. I love it. And anything short of that, we're just not going to be able to achieve our potential, us and, and the church and, and the kingdom of God, right? I want to touch on family because it's a big thing for you. Um, and I know you've, you've got your kids and, you, and you've got Karen and, and, you, and you've and you really got those two rocks in your life. <clears throat> I remember a time when I was at your office and I think it was Luca and he just kind of opened the door and about this far and looked in <laughs> and, uh, and you didn't even bat an eyelid. You're like, come on in. And he came in and I think you sat on your lap on the chair yeah. and just listened to our whole meeting together. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I I just love it, right? Because how are these kids going to get trained if we're, you know, you can send them off to uni. That's a good idea, but if they have an experience, like I think it's a great yeah. experience for them to to kind of be there too. So, just give us some handles on how do you manage? Because it's you got crazy busy business, and your business is not a nine to five thing. It's it, I, I, I mean, I know a little bit about your industry. You play bank with your clients for a long period of time until you get paid, and that yes. would that would carry a whole bunch of pressure too. Um, you know, and you've you got a wife and she's got her passions and then you've got the kids, you've got to raise. How do you, how do you do that? Mate, that's, that's probably the biggest challenge as a business person, I think, trying to spread yourself 
uh, and give the business the attention it needs because, you know, we know how thirsty that can be, but also your most precious thing, which is your kids and your family. Well, uh, I'll put it this way. If, if my family and my marriage isn't right and that's shaky, it's going to affect my business. The business is going to get shaky as well. So my foundation is my relationship with God, you know, my identity in God, and then my relationship with my wife and my kids. And what I'd found is I would, dad taught me this. He said, you know, Ash, work out when your kids want you there. Now you might not be able to be there all the time for your kids, but dad worked out pretty early on that that you don't need to be there all the time. Be there when they want you there. So if I turned up at 3.30 PM to play with Joseph and Joseph doesn't want me, he might be want to kick the ball with his brother or be on Xbox or something like that. He's not going to want me there then. So I'd be wasting my time, but I know Jojo wants me there at six o'clock you know, to, to spend time to play some cards with him, to bed him down. And my dad did this really successfully. He made sure that he was there when we wanted And I felt like he was always around. And so we've done that as well. So there are demands of businesses um, and that I can't make home every night for dinner. But I tell you, what, I'm home every night for bedding them down. I make sure that's, that's for sure. And, and as my business has become bigger and I've got more staff doing it, now I'm in complete control of my time. But in the early days when we were hustling, it was me. You know, this whole thing rested on, on my shoulders, you know, it'd rise or fall on me. So I'd find that I'd tear myself away to make sure that I was home for dinner and when they needed me. And then I'd just spend a lot of time during the night working, uh, you know, put everyone to bed, put Karen to bed, and then I'd, I'd hustle again for a few more hours. That's just what I had to do. But I was not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of success. I wasn't going to sacrifice my family for, for business or financial success, you know. And I think it, it really is having that regular conversation with your partner, and, and just with your family, making sure you're there. One thing we would always do as well when times were crazy is I'd say, guys, dad's going to do a 12-week hustle. And I would bust my butt for 12 weeks and then just I'd switch the phone off and we'd go away for a week, you know, and holiday. And I'd do that four times a year. And if I could do more than a week, I would. And so I'd give it all for 12 weeks and then I'd disappear and recharge and then do it again. And that worked really, really well for those years when we were experiencing that massive growth, Wes. But I think you've got to sit down and communicate with your family, spend that special time with them uh, because, you know, we've only got our kids for this very, very small window of opportunity. Um, And, you know, yes, it might mean in that season you don't make as much money, you don't work as much as you could. But I tell you what, you've got them for 10 years, 12 years maybe, and then they're off with friends and school and soccer and ballet, and then they're going to get married and go to uni, all of this sort of stuff. And I don't, I didn't want to be one of the people who'd look back and go flip. I missed that opportunity. Yeah, I made millions of dollars, but what's the point? I've got no relationship with them. And so um, I make sure that we involve them in our business journey. We involve them in our giving and our financial decisions, obviously age appropriately. Um, but, you know, if you ask my kids, they're going to kill business at school and a business at uni because they already understand how our business works. My kids want to know what profit we turn at the end of the month, you know, and I've explained, I've sworn them to secrecy, you know, because I don't want them going and sprouting that sort of stuff at school. You won't win many friends that way. But, y- you know, you involve them in on the journey. They can sit in on appropriate board meetings like the one with you. You know, they'll peek in and I'll give them a the little come on in and they'll sit and they listen and they absorb that and involve them on the journey. You know, teach them how PL works. Teach them what happens if you have a bad month. Teach them how you're getting clients. And they'll often sit in, in negotiations with me or on phone calls and obviously appropriate ones. But it's how they it's how they learn. It's like an apprenticeship, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you learn by being on the job. Um, I absolutely love those answers. I, I feel like, you know, that's probably my favorite part of this interview so far. Like it, <laughs> you know, like I you know, I've got three young girls and similar age to yours. And I'm just like, you know, that, that, that is really, really it. Like you just said, I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the ultra success. If there's one take home from this show, that's got to be it for everybody that's listening. I'm not going to sacrifice my family, which means you get to choose. And one of the things, Ash, that I remember, and, and I, I don't know how long this was for, but I remember you intentionally 
would come to the office late and have breakfast with your family for a period of yeah. time. I remember that was an, in, yeah. and it, I remember we caught up once and you, that was what you were doing. And, and I remember, cause that would be, that's a pretty big cost, I think, to not be in the office at 8.30 and, and, you know, and get through a massive amount of work. Like you decided that you would be coming in probably after the rest of your team because you wanted yep. to carve that time. And yep. I love that intentionality that you had Ooh. then to be like, no, 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 no we're doing this. We're going to get together in the morning and have breakfast together. Yep. And then we'll all yep. go about our crazy days and we'll catch up later, but we're doing this. And, and you obviously had the discipline to do that. And, and I just reckon that's a wonderful thing. And, yep. and well, taking, taking the school in the morning is what I did too. Uh, it's when they wanted me there. All three of them just wanted me in the car, kiss them goodbye, pray for them and shuffle them off. Exactly. All right. I got one more question for you. That's a little bit heavy, um, but, right. but, but an essential one, right? How is the world going to be a better place because of Ash Gulo's life? Man, that is, that is a heavy question, Wes. You know, I don't know if you've sat down and thought, well, what does my life look like at 50 and 60? What do I want to achieve at 50 and 60? It's a scary thought to actually confront that. But uh, it's an important one. You know, I said before, I, I, I can't do everything, but I can do something. And to the extent of my influence, I want to be influencing people for good and for God. Uh, you know, as a lawyer, um, you know, what can I do? Well, I can keep my word to my clients. I can, I can over-deliver. I can look after those people who come to me who have problems they can't deal with themselves. So I can provide those solutions. But I just think uh, it's, it's using whatever's in your hand to use, um, whether that's being a pastor, whether that's being a business person, whether it's being a, a stay-at-home mum, whatever area you're called to be. Um, so how's the world different? Well, I think it's different from what I give, uh, who I mentor, uh, and the people I come into touch with. You know, if you can make... If you can make every person you touch in a day, their day better, by whether a smile, a kind word, something encouraging. I was getting coffee in Palmwoods the other day and uh, and I just got talking to to uh, the girl, Naomi, behind the counter. And I just, in my two-minute dialogue with her, uh, she just asked a question. I was able to give her just something encouraging to brighten her day. And she says, oh, man, I needed that today. You know, it's just making the difference wherever you are, Wes. And I think, I think um, big things are... Uh, are the culmination of a lot of little things. And if, if we live a life where we're doing a lot of good little things, it's going to create something big. I don't know what my life looks like in five or 10 or 20 years. I suspect there's bigger things ahead. But, uh, you know, the Bible says uh, his words are a lamp unto our, our feet and a light unto our path. It's not like a floodlight. It's a lamp. I don't know if you've had our lamp. You can only see a few feet in front. And that's probably as far as I can see it. I've got hopes and ambitions. But all I do today is just what's what's comes across my path to do. Yeah, and I work plans, I'm working towards them. But how's the world different? I think by the people I touch on a daily basis at the it. moment. Yeah, there might be some big things in the future, but we'll wait and see. Yeah, I love it. Um, really appreciate it. If somebody's listening to this and uh, and they're keen to contact you, reach out to you, find you online, is there a handle that they can come and find you at um, if they want to connect? Um, mate, if they, they can get me at Ashgulo uh, on Instagram or uh, you can always just find us online at bglaw.com.au. Uh, look, we're very approachable. Mention you're one of Wes's mates and you'll always get the time of day from me. They're the two best. Or find me on Facebook at Ashgulo. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to connect, mate. Thank you for having me, mate. You do a terrific job here. That's all right. And so for the listeners, um, I want you to do something for me. Let's, let's make the use of Ash's time. Do, do me a favor here. I want you to think about what's the top one thing that jumped out to you during this interview. Um, and then I want you to write that in the comments for me below. I want you to think about what's the top one thing. I mean, here we are. We've been 40-odd minutes. And uh, 
and there's a fair bit of gold in there, what's one thing that jumped out to you? Do me a favor, put it in the comments below, and that's where I'm going to interact with you. Hey, Ash, it's been a delight hanging out with you, man. I really appreciate your unwavering uh, you know, allegiance to the kingdom um, and obviously your family and, and that focus to go into the marketplace and win, which you're doing. And, uh, and I just think you are a wonderful example of what it looks like to run a kingdom business and separate from that. You know, you're just a great dude and hopefully we can go skiing together one day. Oh, sounds good, mate. Let's uh, hope for Japan 23, hey? Hey, hey, let's do that. All right. <laughs> Thanks for you. having me. Where's your legend? Thank Cheers. you, pal. Good boy.